here we go. Here we go. The origin of episode 62. 62. We made it. <laughs> we made it. Yeah, very special number. I forgot my confetti gun today. <laughs> yeah, episode this is uh, This is the week. Connect conference. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is, this is the week for Connect conference. <laughs> Let's oh, talk man. about that. That's better a big get, deal. Better get... Uh, Better buy some stuff. Better buy some stuff. <laughs> yeah, better, better check my lists. Um, yeah, very excited. Better book some speakers. Better book some speakers, yeah. some worship teams. Yeah, shoot. Goodness, <laughs> what am I going to do? No, we're, we're ready to rock. Um, actually, we're going to spend tomorrow night, Hope Middle, which this comes out Thursday. So this yeah. would have that would have happened last night, all you listeners. Our middle school students and team are going to uh, really help me set up. They don't know that yet. <laughs> <laughs> But I've been making lists yeah. for them this year, and uh, and then Thursday night we've got a leader uh, program with all youth pastors that we could get their um, student leaders, volunteers that are going to be involved in conference over the weekend, praying. We're going to worship together, um, and then we're going to do some training with them. Yeah, some iron sharpening iron in youth nice. ministry, uh, and then just go through the schedule of events so everybody knows what's to come over the weekend. But yeah, I'm excited to eat Chick-fil-A, hear from some awesome guest speakers, worship with uh, all of our students. We are at almost 125 nice. signups right now as of this morning. So we're, we're taking it to 200 almost. <laughs> and you can still, uh, hearing this now on Thursday, you can use the Atrium discount code if you haven't signed up. Yes, student. at the events page at hopechristianchurch.com. Yep, 80% off. So it's practically nothing. It's a $10 raffle for Chick-fil-A for a year. <laughs> You're having Chick-fil-A both nights? We're having Chick-fil-A both nights. Nuggets and strips the first night, and then sandwiches and spicy sandwiches the second night. Nice. Um, I think they both both nights are going to come with mac and cheese. Nice. And they, they do those bags of the waffle chips. Uh-huh. So those, yeah. are, those are nice. Yeah. Um, instead of soggy yeah, waffle fries. Really, yeah, I can't cater fries, really. <laughs> can't cater fries. Yeah, so. fry those to order. Yep, that's Good. right. We've got a Chick-fil-A skit I'm really excited about that students are involved in. Um, it's August 5th on Saturday. So we've been rehearsing for that. So uh, kids, this is for 6th through 12th grade, right? Uh, yeah, but we'll take you if you just graduated okay. as well. Okay, 6th through 12th grade plus. <laughs> exactly, some young adults in there. Yeah, okay. We've got a handful of them coming as well. All right, cool. And they can come... Friday and Saturday, or they can pick one day, yep. or they can register for whatever fits their schedule. That's exactly right. Awesome. Very good details. Um, and uh, yeah, I talked to somebody this weekend that uh, is going to get her grandkids signed up because um, she said they grew up with Nobles. Oh, Nobles Darby. Um, they at like as kids, I think they went to the same church. Awesome. Nobles Darby, uh, the chaplain for the Browns, right? Yes, sir. And the Cavs, right? Yeah. So he's on the chaplain teams for the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Browns. He just started with the Browns. Okay. Um, this will but be he'll be here. He'll, he's one of the speakers. Yeah. So yeah. they're going to hopefully get here and reconnect. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he's become a dear friend. So if you're a friend of Nobles, you're a friend of mine. Can't wait to see you there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very cool. That's exciting. Next week we'll have episode 63. Whew. And we'll recap the Connect Conference. The origin of Connect Conference 2023. <laughs> <laughs> the origin story. All right, very good. Awesome. Well, let's welcome people. Let's do it. Uh, this Welcome to the Atrium. This is a podcast by Hope Christian Church. Uh, we talk about 
all the relevant issues, all that's good to preach. Um, we recap the sermon from Sunday, talk about uh, listener questions that are submitted online. Uh, we encourage you to submit questions if you have them. And uh, this is episode 62, mm-hmm. which is like I'm racking my brain trying to think of any significance of that number, and I am coming up with nothing. I think there was a, the Olympics in 1962. Oh, okay. I, I'm completely making that I up. I cannot confirm or deny that. But I cannot. It was the year before my mother was born. Year before your mother was born. <laughs> All right. Can't think of anything. I just keep thinking of golf score. That's a really good golf score. Like that's like would be a record at most courses. There you go. But that's I can't think of a specific course. So this episode know. would be a record at most golf courses. Yeah. Speaking of golf. Speaking <laughs> of golf. That's right. We've been golfing on Sundays. Uh we are in week two of the origin story. Led by led by Who are you? Oh, oh, that's right. We got to introduce ourselves. <laughs> I welcomed, but I didn't introduce. Yes. My name is Mark. I'm the adult pastor at Hope Christian Church, and this is... Yes, sir, and I am Chad. I'm the student pastor here at Hope. Very good. Let's rock. All right, so we are on We are on week two of the origin story this week, and uh, this series is going through Genesis 1 through 3. Um, the first week we kind of talked about our approach to the whole section of Scripture and uh, how we should look at it, interpret it. This past week we talked specifically about um, Adam and Eve, the creation of Adam and Eve. Uh, We focused on three verses in Genesis 1, Mm -hmm. verses 26, 27, and 28. Those are the, the three verses where God creates man and woman, and we're told that he's given he and she are given the image of God. And so we spent the, the day breaking down what it means to be created in the, in the image of God and how that really separates us from the rest of creation. Uh, when we consider what it means to be a human being, uh, to be separate from animals, to be separate from uh, the rest of creation, from the stars and the planet and the trees, um, it's the fact that we have the image of God given to us. And I talked about the intentionality behind those verses. Uh, they break in the pattern of Genesis 1, and God said, let there be, and God said, let there be. And he says, and God said, let us uh, have, um, let us create, let's make man in our own image. Um, I actually got uh, an email. It wasn't um, a question per se, but someone uh, followed up about about my comment on let us. Because in verse um, 26, let me read it here. It says, let us make man in our image. I highlight that because that's the break in the pattern. It goes from these divine commands to this divine conversation. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion. So God did this. God did this. Created man. God blessed him. And God said, be fruitful, multiply. Um, so the us in that, in that um, chapter is highly debated. I didn't really get to get into it um, on Sunday. So I mm-hmm. thought maybe we could break it down a little bit here. Um, oh, yeah. My stance is that the us is a allusion to the Trinity. So this conversation that's being had is between God and himself. So we've already seen in verse 2, the Spirit hovering above the waters. We see God the Father in verse 1. Verse 2, we see the Spirit. Uh, we don't see Christ in Genesis 1, but then we're told later that Christ is there. Mm-hmm. In fact, not only was Christ there? He was the agent of all creation. Mm. In John 1, we see that. Um, 
and other scriptures as well. Yeah. Um, so the Trinity is eternal, is, is present, is an essential doctrine to Christianity. Uh, if, if you don't believe in the Trinity, you're, you're probably, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to come to a biblical worldview. Basically it's, it's somewhat even argue the most essential doctrine to, to believe not to understand because it's hard for us to wrap our minds around um, three persons and one being hard to understand because we are one being in one person. Um, we're made in the image. We're given one body. We're one soul. Uh, we're one being one person. God is three persons, one being, but in the Trinity, we also see why we see motivation for why God created. We see that God as a Trinity has existed in eternity past in plurality. And so we community in community. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about things like we did on Sunday about man, not being alone and not being good, that man is alone. uh, That's because we're made for relationship because God is in an eternal relationship with himself. God is in a relationship with himself. And then he also chooses to be in a relationship with us. He didn't need to be because he was complete before he made us. He had, he was sufficient and complete. He didn't need us. He chose by his will to make us, though, to express his love to us. And so that reflects on us. We are in a relationship, we're to be in a relationship with God and we're to be in a relationship with others. So even in the Trinity, we see that that community, that that relationship aspect. Uh, but we also see diversity. God also likes diversity. Yeah. Um, the one thing, um, you know, we see so much diversity in creation uh, just in the, the species of the animals even. You know, why do we have so many species of frog? Like, wouldn't one frog be enough? (laughs) (laughs) Right. But we see in the Trinity, we see diversity within the Trinity. Um, God is still one, don't get me wrong. But we see a diversity in the three persons, Um, uh, difference in roles. And sorry, Jim Gaffigan has a good bit in his latest stand up on frogs. (laughs) <laughs> and God's sending the plague. Oh, yeah? <laughs> the first two make sense, and then he's just like, frogs! <laughs> yeah, I wonder how many kinds of frogs he sent. Oh, that's a good, yeah. A diversity in the... in the. Uh, Don't email us that question. We have no idea. <laughs> diversity in the plagues. <laughs> yeah, diversity in the plagues. It's he's a good band name. A hundred species of frogs. Yeah. Um. But then, you know, we ultimately get to Revelation. We see the the final bride of Christ is from every tribe and tongue and nation. Yeah. We see a diversity in the people of God. Um, so all of that to say, I believe the Trinity is being referenced here. Yeah. Um, I believe when he's saying, let us make man in our image, that's a conversation with himself. Uh, the email I got um, was uh, someone from someone that holds a different view that uh, – this view is sometimes taken that us is referring to a royal council. Um, so God with um, angelic angelic yeah. beings, perhaps, or even um, uh, he used the expression lowercase g gods, um, like this kind of this tight knit council. You might think of like the Jedi council. Like, I sure did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this group of people sitting around. Um, we get a couple references, like you'll see in Genesis 5, to the sons of God. Um, and he gave some scripture references, like the Psalms uses that expression, the sons of God. Um, 
like that kind of referring to the these kind of lowercase g gods and so god is consulting with this council in heaven and um they're deciding that they're going to make man in, in their own image and i think maybe some of that also plays into like the scenes in revelation where we see the throne room and there's the elders sitting around the throne and then there's the the you know the next layer of the angels and then there seems to be like this um almost a senatorial seating of these people in prominent seats and and it's there's a lot of mystery and supernatural um understanding wrapped up in it um i don't take that view i i've i'm familiar with that view and i i don't i don't think it does justice to um genesis 1 i'd also i'd have to be shown where the roles of those um characters are creating right scripture um you know i think about hebrews 1 it seems that the audience of of hebrews keep ended up in the book of hebrews this year <laughs> uh the, hebrews explains a lot of the old testament for us i mean does. we've been in the old testament a lot and yeah that explains why we keep coming back to it for sure um but the audience receiving that uh that book that letter seems to even perhaps have a uh practice of worship of angels yeah and so they have to be told you don't worship angels you you worship the one true living god right they're you know showing us the angels aren't creators we worship the creator yeah who it's a it's a strong argument in John 1, in Genesis 1, and several other scriptures, many scriptures, you could tie together more than um, interpret a council. Mm-hmm. They actually tie together to show us God and community. Yeah. And makes sense logically seeing the created order that man and woman, there's diversity there, but are made to live in community. But don't mm-hmm. live in community like God does because they're different than God. There's two becoming one. There's three eternally one right so there's a differentiation there as to the created and the creator yes and that's yeah. exactly um that's exactly how i responded to him actually yeah it blurs the creator creature distinction mm-hmm. um because angels are not eternal beings right angels are creatures just like us everything other than god is a creature is a created being um so these these lowercase g gods it's I think can be un, unhelpful sometimes because yeah. God repeatedly says, I, I am one, there is no God but me. Um, and and it, if we start, like if we start looking at like he's consulting angels or he's consulting his creation, um, it blurs that distinction too much. Um, why would the eternal, the God who has an eternal will and eternity past decided to make man why is he consulting something he made? And then when it says let us make, that verb would would apply to the the creature as well. So this council would be involved in making the man. And this council, and it says in our image, in our likeness. So that our there would mean that man is being made in not just the image of God, but in the image of the council as well. Um so I just I see that as too inconsistent. Um I mean, I'm not I'm not mad at you if you believe yeah. that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it is really, it, you know, because because if we look at the text and we look at the the author, he would not have been writing about the Trinity. 
Moses, uh, as the author, would not have been considered, like he wouldn't have been thinking about the Trinity because the Trinity is a doctrine that's not really understood until after Christ is revealed fully in the person of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so um, he wouldn't have been writing this kind of, laying the seed for the trinity so if it does lay the seed for trinity the trinity um it's god's doing that intentionally for us um and even for the original audience but they wouldn't have understood it to be that but we're also told uh, in the new testament that we live on the other side of christ and we're we're shown things that weren't shown to the people who lived before christ uh, we've seen things that the prophets long to see. First mm. Peter says, "I was just going to say that." Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and that I think that's part of it. We can yeah. under we we can have that. We have this better picture of the Trinity because of Christ, um, and it, I believe the Trinity is found in the Old Testament in places like this. Um, but I don't think the audience necessarily understood it in the way we do, um, which is a blessing, which is an awesome thing, which is something that should humble us that we're given this glimpse into something so. Uh, so deep, like the eternality of God and the the, the trinitarian nature of God. So, um, that, that's my sidebar. There are other views of that us uh, and let us make man our own image. Some people hold that uh, God's actually talking to the animals um, that are already there. Let us let us make man in our image, referring to all everything else that was created up to that point, because by then everything else had been created except man and woman. Um, that that argument, obviously, the argument we just made, kind of goes along with that. Why is God consulting creatures, and why is you know why are we being made in the in the image of of a dog, which some people might say we are. Um, poof! I saw that story this week. This man has transformed himself into a collie. Oh yeah, I saw that again this morning. Yeah, I've been watching. Well, I haven't been watching it, but um, yeah, it's come up on my timeline over. I don't know the past few months probably, but I just saw the yeah. amount, the amount this morning. Cost I think he twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, like fifteen twenty thousand dollars that, um, like he spent on like he's on all fours now. Yeah. Um, and like his he I guess is a completely prosthetic face, um, that he wears. Wow. Um, but yeah, I think I the I didn't the, read it too much. I didn't either. Um, it would just I was. It would just be too frustrating. Uh, but this man, basically this man has spent all this money and is is living life as a collie, a dog. Um, and he looks like a dog. I mean, ultimately he really looks like a man dressed up as a dog. But um, he's, he's put all this money into um, being a dog. And that, that really gets at the heart of the message on Sunday. Uh, it's a denial, it's a reversal of man being made in God's image. Uh, we are made intentionally and created for a purpose and we want to reverse that by going to male female and going to our biology and defining ourselves by by our biology to the point that we're saying now well we can even defy our even special biology like we're we're trans species um it's heartbreaking (laughs) because this is not what god wants for anybody i talked a little bit about um the the nature of this image of god being spiritual but it has physical it plays out in physical ways as well um like we are the only species that walks upright we're the only species that looks up to consider god to pray to god all the other species look down this man is now walking on all fours 
looking down at the earth. Um, we have a tongue that's made for relationship because we're able to communicate in languages in ways that other animals aren't able to do. Um, so I think there's a physical representation of the image of God uh, in as much as it re reflects the way we're able to, um, I guess, the capacity to execute the spiritual ability that God's given us. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a heartbreaking story. Yeah. And I feel like that's I that I feel like we're just going to see more and more of that. Um, if truth has no stand, if we have no st standard, where our feet are planted firmly in midair, and we can go wherever we want, do whatever we want, say whatever we want. Um, so, anyway, so that us ha does have other views. Some people say it's God consulting the animals. Some people say it's the royal we, like like um, a king sitting on his throne might say, um, we are going to do this. We are going to eat supper now. Bring me my supper. Uh, the royal sense of the we is in it's really the third person to refer to a singular, you know, first person. Um, that's not really, that would be um, an anachronism. It'd be out of time, out of place for that the literary device. The royal we didn't really exist in the time of the ancient world. So I believe it's the Trinity. Um, but you can fight me for it if you want. I said, ultimately I said, we won't know until we, we get to heaven. We can ask God, but mm -hmm. that's, that's my view of it. So anyway, uh, we spent the Sunday, uh, really focusing on the image of God. Yeah. Um, that was the, the, the crux of the day because that will really affect our worldview. Um, that was the crux of the Imago day. Of the Imago Day, I, I didn't. I didn't use that phrase at all on Sunday. I don't think Imago Day. That's the Latin phrase for mm -hmm. image of God. That's a lot of people know it that way. Imago Day. Mm -hmm. um, and you said the Imago Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> we didn't have to bring that up on the podcast, but yes, <laughs> <laughs> the actor made in the image of God. Uh, well, if anybody can perform method acting on, well, I shouldn't say anything about that. <laughs> I I I appreciate a good Daniel Day Lewis yeah. performance. Yeah. He's one of my favorites. He's uh, he's intense. He's intense. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Don't actually hand him a script where he's God. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. The image of God. The Imago Daniel Day. Yes. Maybe we should aspire to be the Imago Daniel Day. Yeah. The image of Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> yes. But yes, the image of God. Um. Because okay. because you started off with uh, this whole golf acronym, oh yeah, being uh, the first segment of this series being on God, G for God, yeah. And now O is for ourselves, Oscar. O is for Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> let us let ourselves ourselves, <laughs> ourselves would have been better. <laughs> yeah. I thought I thought you did end up throwing to ourselves, but that was yeah. It must have been because it made more sense. <laughs> Okay. That makes more sense. And um, yeah, so it started from a homework assignment. Yes. Yeah, from Oscar, my son. And uh, golf was the acronym. He Got didn't, it. he wasn't trying to come up with that. Neil, Neil was the one that actually noticed the acronym uh, God, Oscar, Legos, and food. And uh, so we talked about God. We talked about Oscar or human beings. What does yeah. it mean to be a person? If I say Oscar's a person, what does that mean? And that's where we're, where we landed. Yeah. In week two. Um, because man is given a very prominent role. Mm -hmm. Man's given 
the prominent role. I said we were the main characters of the story. Yeah. Um, and this main this the story that's being started in the origin story is ultimately the story of redemption that God is writing in this universe. He's writing a, a plan of of grace that will result in his glory being shown through him redeeming a people to himself and bringing a people to himself where uh, he is uh, our God and we are his people and we'll be living in community with him. Um, and that's what's being started in the Garden of Eden. And so um, part of part of part of what I wanted to do on Sunday was to put the emphasis on how important human beings are. Um, it's not a matter of arrogance. It's not a matter of pride. It's really a matter of humility that God has put us in this role. But we are we are distinct from the rest of creation. We are distinct from we're distinct from dogs. We are in almost every way more important than dogs. <laughs> we just are put in this main role in creation. Uh, and I know when I say we're more important than dogs, people are hearing me saying we can do whatever we want with dogs. You know, we can do whatever we want with the animals. We have dominion over them, and we'll get into that. Next week, actually, our role, how we play out this life um, as we take care of what God's given us. We take care of the the world and the stage that we've been set in. Well, there it is. Yeah. We take care. We steward. We steward. Yeah. Yes, that's our role. Um, but we are distinct from the animals, and we are we are in a more prominent position than anything else because God is given has given us his image so that he can relate to us and he can display his character to us. We're the recipients of the divine revelation. Nothing else gets gets to talk to God. Nothing else gets to communicate with God. Mm-hmm. And uh, we broke it down. I broke it down to three implications, two applications, and one result. Um, uh, the first implication um was that this is a purposeful event that God is doing. God is is creating us intentionally, separate from the rest of creation, just to be his image bearers. So he's created this universe to put a creature in the middle of it that bears the image of God. So in a way, we stand on this earth, in this universe, uh, as stewards of God's dominion, of his reign. So um, the phrase is used uh, in theology that we are vice regents. Right. Um, and it's it's a it's a $5 seminary word, I'll say. Um, a vice regent basically meaning that we sit and hold God's position on earth as he sits and reigns in heaven. We sit and reign on the earth. Mm-hmm. And we that makes us royalty. Um, humans are royalty among the rest of creation. Uh, we had the the men's conference. A few weeks ago, this is the root of the prophet, priest, and king. This is the root of the of where we get the origin of those those things is in the garden. Adam is made a prophet, priest, and king. He is a, a prophet because he's given communication from God. He's given the word of God. God speaks to him, not to anyone else. Um, and then he's to relay that to the rest of creation. Um, He's a priest because he's put in the garden and told to tend and work and keep the garden. And he's the king because he's he's made royalty over the rest of creation. Uh, same with same with Adam and Eve. It comes both of them hold that position. That's not specific to Adam. Uh, but Adam and Eve are both uh, are both made royalty. So God is 
intentionally creating mankind to be his image bearers. And so that becomes the root of our identity. That's the root of our identity. What does it mean to be a human being? It means that we are an image bearer of God. That's where I, that's that's what makes us a person. To define a person, that means we are an image bearer of God. We are body and soul put into one. That's a person. And then the second implication was I highlighted that uh, the image verse in verse 27 uh, distinguishes between male and female. He created them male and female in the image of God. And that means the author is trying to say two things. He's saying that male and female both equally have the image of God, um, but male and female are also distinct. So he's created them intentionally male and female, uh, even though that is not um, that's not part of uh, of the Trinity. God God is not uh, male or female, but it's His will that we be male male and female, and so that distinction is made in chapter one. But the image of God is not more or less on Adam or Eve. It's equal. Furthermore, it's it's on every human being. So it's not on a leader. It's not on a ruler. It's not on the wise or the elite class um, that some uh, other ancient religions would have um, taught that the image of God was made uh, only for specific people. Uh, it's It's for everybody. But male and female is the first distinction made for the human beings. Um, it's the first uh, time we're told about male and female. Um, we're not told that with the animals, that they're created male and female, even though um, most animals tend to fall into male and female categories. Uh, the male and female distinction, uh, in, in a way, is uniquely human. Uh, it's uniquely given to humans. Um, or I'll say it, it's unique in the human way that it uh, that it exists. Um. Yeah. And then the 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 main point of that implication was that um, our identity is found in the image of God, not in our biology. Um, the biology is like kind of the next tier down. We start as the image of God, and then we also have a biology that's given to us. We have bodies. And the, the struggle we see today is people want to define themselves by their biology. They want to define themselves by the fact that they're male or by the fact that they're female or they want to, um, or they think they might want to switch or change or pick or choose um, either or or a, a spectrum of of any other um, gender, um, or even in their even in their sexual behavior, um, they want to define themselves that way, and that's their that becomes their identity. And so, uh, through today, we see uh, what's called expressive individualism, where people. Um, have this desire to express themselves, um, to show themselves to the world, to find their truth inside themselves, and then display it to the world, and then the world has to affirm it. Uh, and that's rooted in the idea that our identity comes back to who we are in our biology and what we do. So in a way, it's a denial of the soul. It's a denial of anything outside of anything supernatural, uh, which goes back to the the modern enlightenment movement of all we see or all all we can observe is what's out there. So this this world, what we observe with our senses is all that's there. So our physical reality is all that the, all that exists. So um, I'm gonna do what I want with it to um, be as happy as I can to 
find as much pleasure as I can uh, to do um, whatever I want, and then society has to affirm it. So their identity is being found in basically their biology. And um, and uh, even even the example with with the collie, the dog, um, he's he's the, the man is wanting to root his identity in something other than the image of God, something that uh, is temporal, something that is going to is going to pass away because our, our biology as we know it is going to pass away. Uh, something that's very temporary. Um, so out of that comes the implication if we're made in the image of God, then what how should we live? We have mm-hmm. if this has been given to us, if this has been put on us, then there's implications of how we should live, how we should carry ourselves, what we're to do, um, all of that. And we'll get into that a little bit more next Sunday. Um, we're going to talk about the purpose yeah. of, of why we're here. Um, I wanted to focus more this Sunday on just identity and what it means to be a human and that God has made us intentionally. And because of this idea of the image of God, that means we all have value. Human beings have value just because they're human. So if you are a person, you have value. Um, if you... Um, if you're listening to this, you have value, and you're not made by mistake. You're not an accident. Um, you you're not. Uh, you don't need to reverse anything God has done, and He's created you in a very specific way. Uh, and and He 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 has a purpose for your life. He wants you to be an image bearer of of Himself. Um. That was so. That was kind of the the, the thrust I say of of the image of God, the implications of it. And out of that flow, our sp- flows our spiritual capacity, um, because that is really what distinguishes us from the rest of creation. Is this spiritual ability that we're given a soul? Uh, God breathed life into man, um, and he became a living creature. And now we have this ability to commune with him. Um, we have this ability to be in relationship with him. Uh, he he's able to communicate to us in a way we can understand. We can look at the heavens and see and consider that there's a, a creator, that there's a designer. Um, we can read scripture and and read it as a message from God and read it as as something God wants to communicate to us. Um, and then that goes into all of our spiritual abilities, our self-awareness, our self-consciousness, uh, our, our moral consciousness, our God consciousness. Um, and that's something that um, science, from a capital S science um, perspective, point of view, uh, they they fail to define. They cannot. They can't define consciousness. Um, it it just can't be defined from a purely physical uh, point of view. It doesn't make sense that like why why did man evolve to the point that we are aware of ourselves to the point that we're aware of others, to the point that we are morally aware. Um, none of that makes sense from a, a, a purely evolutionary uh, point of view. And to be honest, neither does um, a lot of the diversity we see. Um, people say they'll use the origin of species and uh, the Galapagos finches to um, speak to the diversity we see in nature, but um, a lot of the diversity in nature uh, doesn't really stand on an evolutionary model. It doesn't make sense that we would have so many uh, creatures because eventually one of them is going to be 
dominant enough to the point that the other ones are obsolete. The other ones become obsolete. Yeah. Um, and you talked about, I believe you talked about the implications of our morality towards others. Um, you know, if we're just from, if we come from stardust to stardust, we shall return. Yeah. Then there's, there's no reason to have a moral compass in how we treat one another. Yet, right. Yet it seems that, um, maybe not everybody, but in, in general, somebody that's an atheist that might believe um, that we did come from stardust would want to treat others with honor yeah. and dignity. Right. So why, you know? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Why, why it, maybe you've talked to people um, who have that viewpoint. Why do they hold a moral view of um, treating somebody with digni- dignity and honor, even though we're all just stardust anyway? Well, ultimately, that comes back to that's the logical inconsistency of a naturalist view. A naturalist view holds that everything physical is all we have. So if you carry that to its logical conclusion that we are just stardust, um, then there's no reason that anybody deserves dignity. There's no reason that we are anything more than the animals. So the animals exist to... Um, to basically they exist to live. They exist to carry on. Create ecosystems and... Well, they, and just, well. they just exist to survive. So yeah, sure, okay. Propagation of the species. They yeah. just exist to exist longer. Um, so if that's the case for humans, then really morality is irrelevant because uh, morality has to come down from a standard of truth as outside of ourselves. We can't come up with our own standard of truth because it will always be relative. And that's where we're at. Relative relative truth is where society is at right now. I think personally, we are in a culture that is still feeling the residue of being a predominantly Christian culture. Um, almost, almost worldwide. There's still that sense that people deserve dignity. I think that's a residue of, of the dominance of Christianity in the last 2,000 years. It's not a result of um, of their beliefs in the science, though. It's not. It's not a, a result of of evolutionary evolutionary theory. Um, but that almost becomes an apologetic in itself. Like deep down, we do know, we do feel like it's not right to murder. That's why I was talking about when I talk about our moral consciousness. Mm-hmm. Like, why do we know it's not right to murder? Like, why do we know that? Like that. It doesn't make sense from an evolutionary point of view because if I can kill you because that means I live longer, then evolution says I should kill you because I will live longer and me surviving is is my A1 priority and me living longer is my is is what it's all that matters. That's all that matters to the to the lions, right? They work to eat and sleep and survive <laughs> and procreate and recreate. They are told to be fruitful and multiply in Genesis 1, and that's what they're doing under God's command. Um, and, and ultimately, that's what it comes back to, is that they're given their command, we're given the command to be fruitful and multiply as well, but we're also given moral commands. And so this denial of any uh, creature or creator or any designer comes back to the fact that they, want to, they, they don't want a God because it comes with moral implications. If there's a God, then that means we answer to somebody. 
a naturalist view means we don't answer to anybody. We are just stardust. And we happen to be alive for 80 some years and we'll be dead again and we'll be stardust again. We really don't deserve any morality. We don't deserve any dignity. Um, if I come in and, and wipe out, you know, I don't know, that's kind of a morbid example, but if I come in and wipe out the staff and take the money oh, <laughs> in the safe, <laughs> reprehensible, right? And an atheist, um, you know, agnostic, Christian would all agree that's reprehensible. Um, <clears throat> nope. um, but strictly speaking, if I'm stardust, I don't answer to anybody. I don't, I don't answer to the, I don't even answer to the crowd. I don't even answer to the government, to the, the moral majority, um, a, a phrase has been used. Um, if that means I get money, I can buy more food for my family. My family can exist longer Then I've got an advantage over you. And if you die, well, that's survival of the fittest. You're not the fittest. I'm more fit because I've, I've won, but we know that's not true. We know that we do consider why is, why would murder be wrong? And people, an atheist will come to, or not even atheists, but agnostics, people seeking, people questioning, you know, what, what does, like, what about, you know, the kid that, um, that has no food is starving? You know, why does, why does God allow that such evil? Why does God allow evil? Um, and I would, I would kind of, turn it back on them a little bit and say, well, why is that evil? Like, why do you know that that is evil? And the only reason you can say that something like that is a bad thing or is an evil thing even is because you can define the good. And the only reason we can define the good is because God exists and he's shown us the good. He's put a conscience on our hearts. So even if you're a Christian or not, each, each human being in the image of God has a conscience and that's that's even a means of grace. God has shown us grace by giving us a conscience. Um, to and to some degree, we have some of God's law written on our hearts, written wired into us, um, to keep us from killing each other, to keep us from being animals and simply making a survival of the fittest, and and from just slaughtering each other. But if you say you know it's evil that God would allow that that little kid to go hungry. I would say you only know that evil is a thing because God exists. God has revealed that to you. God has revealed that good and evil exists, that evil is a thing. And we're going to get to that in week four in, in, in the fall in chapter three of Genesis. Okay. Because um, the giraffe is not considering, they're not considering the morality of, you know, the baby giraffe that's going hungry. Yeah. Like the, the, the goodness or the, the badness of it. And I'm rambling a little bit now, kind of all over the place, but um, the there are there are postmodern philosophers that have gotten to the point where they're being honest and saying if God doesn't exist, then none of this really matters. If we don't answer to any anybody, then this time on earth is is really irrelevant. There's been billions of years of creatures before us. There'll be billions of years of creatures after us, likely. Um, like my time is so insignificant, I, I, I'm no different than I'm no different than the ant. I'm no different than than, than a, a spider that'll be stepped on. 
Yeah. If I don't answer to anybody, I've got no ultimate purpose. I've got ultimately no meaning. Uh, Camus, uh, the philosopher, ultimately said, you know, the philosopher's final question is, um, why shouldn't we kill ourselves? <laughs> Not the whale. Camus. What's that? I thought you said Shamu. <laughs> And that's oh, no. why I perked up, but no, Camus, Camus was a, uh, he's a French ex- existential philosopher and he was a bummer of a dude, but he was honest. If you really believe there is no God, then there's nothing beyond this world. And we don't answer to anybody Then we don't have any purpose. Mm-hmm. We don't have any meaning. We don't have any identity We're just a cosmic accident. One day we'll be stardust again. And if that's true, that's a depressing worldview. And ultimately, if you take that to the honest conclusion, there's no there's no morality in killing yourself. There's no morality in me killing you. There's no morality in 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 rape. There's no morality in in anything because it's we're not answerable to anybody. Right. And and yet anybody with uh you know the the, the right presence of mind, a, a healthy, correct presence of mind. And even without a biblical worldview, um, would be is terrified to pull the trigger on somebody. They know the they know right. the consequences. Even if they haven't ever done that, they they know based on right. other people's experience and based on I would say, um, you being created in the image of God and knowing that that is wrong. Yeah, um, just naturally that you you we all are scared to. No, think about the idea that we would have to pull the trigger on somebody. Yeah, even in a situation where we're defending somebody or somebody else or ourselves, because um, you you live with that memory, you live with that scar the rest yeah. of your life. Um, even uh, if, even yeah. if it's in a situation that's, um, you know, generally, like I said, defending yourself or somebody else. Yeah, do, doing oh yeah, generally the right thing in some situations. Right, um, taking the life of another. Um is something that can be in that viewpoint, a circular argument. Why do you know that that's bad? Well, because it's bad because it's evil. Why is it evil? Why is it evil? Right. That's, that's what you asked. That's the kind of question you ask um, a friend with the naturalist view. I would say. And that, you know, murder is the extreme example, but the the problem with the naturalist worldview is that they don't, they don't take it far enough in their thinking. They don't mm-hmm. take it to the conclusion, yeah. the ultimate logical conclusion. They they exist kind of their feet planted firmly in midair that we should all get along and be happy and, you know, have a happy society. But if this is all there is, then this time and place, we need to find our identity and define it ourselves and get, get all the gusto out of life we can. Mm-hmm. We need to be, um, we need to have all the pleasure, all the all the happiness, all the whatever, we need to grab it and grab as much of it as we can because this is it. There's nothing There's nothing later. There's nothing in the next age. Um, and this is why uh, the this movement, this naturalist movement and this identity movement is so demanding that all of society affirm them. So we're, we're beyond the point where we need to tolerate views outside of scripture we're now at the point where we not only are being called to uh, to tolerate them but we're being called to affirm them so not only do we have to say you know i can have my beliefs you can have your beliefs tolerate it um we're now being told you need to not only accept it you need to affirm it you need to say tell me why this is okay why i'm doing good 
We need to affirm that man who's dressing up as a dog and tell him he is a dog because this world is all there is. So he is going after all he can, grabbing the gusto, as much of it as he can in his own way because there's nothing else coming. There's nothing else he's answering to. So this world is it. So this world has to be a utopia. Yeah, that's what happens when the ultimate collective desire is peace. We want peace. Yeah. Then everybody just do their own thing. Whatever is true, is lovely, is, uh, you know, healthy to you, even if it might not be objectively. Yeah. That's what you're going to run with because then we can all live peacefully in a utopian sense rather than what scripture calls us to is sacrificing our sinful desires to become transformed into the likeness of Mm. Christ. And that's what, that was a kind of the ultimate um, end goal of this week's sermon. Yeah. We're talking about being conformed into the likeness of Christ. You talked about how uh, some buildings are stripped down to the steel frames. Yeah. Uh, That's, that's um, I'm looking for the word because now I'm messed up. You called it, it's not renovation. No, it was oh, renovation. Yeah, it's, it's not, not restoration, restoration. It's renovation. It's renovation by God. Yeah. Right? Well, I don't want to go through that process. Everybody can just be at peace without that process if we just affirm. Yeah. When the reality is we're all going to finally feel at peace if we trust God and his process of removing the sinful, dead person. Yeah. Paul says it's on us, yeah. it's on us all, uh, and, and become the image of Christ. We go down to the steel frames so that he can renovate. And I loved um, one, of, one of our students came back to main service for the first time in a long time. Um, she's finally going into her senior year, so she's like got a, a lot less going on going into this year. She, <laughs> she said, I finally was able to go to Sunday service. And I heard that, and it was just like this prayer in my, in my personal time, in my spirit, to say, all right, let's renovate. And I loved that. I love that because it's like, oh, our students get it. Like when I pray, I'm cooperating with the Holy Spirit instead of just saying, okay, everybody just do whatever they want and we'll Mm. all live at peace. And that's the way I can be a Christian is just be kind and wave and be nice. It's like, no, live in such a way where, I mean, you don't have to call everybody else to that, right? Like out loud, but you're going to call your friends and family around you to that by living in such a way, posturing yourself to say, let's renovate. Yeah. All right, Holy Spirit. I know it's going to hurt. I know it's going to be challenging. Yeah. I know there's certain things I want that you don't want, but ultimately, Holy Spirit, I I want you to give me the desires that, that you have for me and my life to change me. Yeah. You know, so go down to the steel frames. Yeah. Put on the new self. Put on the new self. It's going to be, it's going to be a journey, but I mean, that's literally what we're called to, not this whole, we've got to affirm one another, even if it's, even if it's the fact that this man who's a dog, the bones are going to be dug up on this man one day, he's going to be a man, not a collie. Right. You know, and we're not making fun of it. We're, we're just saying, No, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Like, this is the reality. Like, this man isn't taking. And we're going to see, I I feel we're going to see more of that kind of thing. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. Because of the affirmation rather than. Take helping people go to the logical conclusion. You're going to be dug up one day. Yeah. Let's talk about science. Yeah. And you're still gonna be you're still gonna be a man, right. not a collie. Right. So what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be um 
to, to live into this identity that God has given us, not just as biologically what we're created to be, that's, yeah. that's all where people are going, but to the ultimate source, yeah. the Imago Dei. We're in the image of God. And I loved also where you landed in this sermon where that's going to help us posture our view on others. Yeah, It's going to help us um, live out the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, even to those we disagree with, even to those that aren't in our community of faith, um, that are living anti to the way we would hope that they live, or, or they're not going along with us on the journey that we have in our faith, to say, they are created in the image of God. Like, I'm going down to the steel frame, to the bare yeah. bones, even if they're not looking like it, even if they're not living in the fruit of the Spirit, I'm going to decide. I'm going. It's, I'm going to make it my resolve to mm. to live that way toward them. Absolutely. So, because when we see them, we, we're seeing we are seeing an image bearer struggling with sin, mm-hmm. which is what we are too. And Amen. We're when we see their brokenness, it's a reflection of the fall. It's re- the reflection of Genesis three. Yeah. Um. And we we have to remember that the the image is still there. The likeness is still there. James. That's why I brought in James's. Uh, comment saying we, we shouldn't even be cursing these people. Yeah. We should watch how we speak to them, to everybody, um, not because they're a believer or not, because they're human. Luke Skywalker looks at Darth Vader and says, there's still good in you. I can feel it, <laughs> right? I mean, that's kind of yeah. goofy, but like there's still the image of God in you. Yeah, absolutely. Regardless. So, yeah. Yeah. There you go. We that'll, have questions. That'll so preach. I don't know when we need to jump into questions. Because <laughs> we can keep yes. going on that. Um, yeah, let me see. Yeah, that's uh, uh, thank you. You brought uh, you brought my Sunday sermon home. So yeah, uh, image of God. Um, yeah. One day we will all see each other in glory, and uh, we will be in the image of Christ. Um, but um, don't don't think that that means conformity to. Um, Conformity to one image, but still diversity. You know that that bride of Christ we picture in Revelation is diverse. We see um, people of all ethnicities and all origins and um, every race, color, and creed. Yeah. And um, well, not every creed, but <laughs> one creed, uh, one faith, creed of Christ, um, one faith. Um, but that that uh, uh, yeah, that doesn't mean yeah. I'll just leave it there. All right. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, week two. Um, next week, we're going to talk about Legos um, and God's purpose for us to work and why we're <laughs> why we're here. It's just funny without, like, I'm thinking of somebody without the context, like, what? what? <laughs> next week, we're talking about Legos. Yeah. So, well, you're going to be... Gonna talk- you're gonna to want to get a front row seat. I mean, that's the <laughs> closest I think a kindergartner can view like his his purpose on earth, like why why he's here. Yeah, is at least Oscar when he was five. What is this kid Sunday? <laughs> was to build. Well, we are to build too. We're gonna to see. I think it plays uh, plays really well. Are you bringing like the Lego Death Star as a prop on I, stage? I thought about um, bringing something. This hour, we're gonna see if I can complete. The Lego Death Star. <laughs> I don't preaching. own the Lego Death Star. That's an out-of-print set and hard to get a hold of. Oh, um, sure. Yeah. I do have some sets, though. That was my COVID hobby. Whenever we were trapped inside for two months, I uh, I did a lot of Legos with my kids, and I bought a couple sets that were like... Oh, wow. Like 
from my era because Lego does a great job of um, targeting people my age. <laughs> yeah, marketing. Yeah, like they market to like people my age because I grew up on Legos and they know like okay now these you know these adults have a little bit of they really discretionary do. money and they <laughs> they really do they like they like yeah they target the uh, the nostalgia and um, somebody somebody made the comment I should uh, I should get a Lego Batmobile. Oh, okay, yeah. Because I've been talking about Batman a lot in this series. And I said, I already have one. <laughs> said, oh, trust me. It's, it's been it's done. on my shelf, yeah. That was... Lego store in Crocker Park is very impressive. Yeah. I it's... took my two-year-old there, which I knew that he's way too young to go in yeah. here with the pieces that are out. But I thought maybe I could get his energy out and then see what they've got in there. Yeah. And, um, man, you're right. There was a shelf of, like, the Lego sets that were on sale. Yeah. And this this kid who was probably... 19 to 23 somewhere in there a young adult yeah came in and just had his wallet ready to rock yeah and got this black panther oh yeah um set and it was like 225 dollars still oh yeah on sale and they, he's just like yep i'll take that one and i'm like 225 dollars <laughs> so i look at the sale rack and there's a little iron man uh-huh mask face yeah. on sale for like 8.99 Oh, yeah. It's a little box. I'm like, all right, I can maybe do this one with Ledger. Yeah. And I was surprised it said this is for eight and up. Oh, yeah. When there was much bigger sets for like three and up. Yeah. That were Batman, that were Avengers and all that. And I'm like, I could do this today with him. Yeah. And I opened that box and I'm like, I have to do this by myself <laughs> and it's going to take me hours. <laughs> yeah, like the it pieces, does. The pieces were so Oh, yeah. There's sets that are 18 years and up. Like no they're way. adults only sets and like the pieces are small. And it's like, yeah, it's a model. Like, yeah, it takes a while. So, yeah, you will, you'll want to be there for this sermon. It is the theology <laughs> of work. And I was like, this is going to be a lot of work. Oh, my goodness. This little Iron Man mask. <laughs> All right. Let's get into our questions for today. Um, we have a couple. They're kind of related, um, going more back to week one. Um, how, the first one is this. How do we reconcile the biblical timeline of Adam's genealogy and a literal interpretation of the origin with the widely accepted scientific age of the earth, carbon dating, etc. Also, while added the classic, what about the dinosaurs and prehistoric record? Is a biblical worldview a short history view? 5,000 to 25,000 years. So yeah, week one, I, I, I made the... The explanation that I believe we have to interpret Genesis literally, uh, the creation account literally, and we interpret the day as literal, a 24-hour period, and um, it's that's supported by the genealogies. Um, we are told certain dates in Scripture. Um, we're told um, when certain things happened in given years. And we're given genealogies that trace back all the way from Jesus all the way back to Adam. And if we follow those, we can kind of come up with a, a number uh, that we think the earth to be. Um, it's not exact. We can't come up with an exact year of creation, but uh, we can come up with some numbers. And to me, that's part of why I view it as his. Uh, historical narrative is because we're given specific numbers in the text and these numbers with the dating and tracing back genealogies they go all the way back to adam uh, luke in the new testament goes from jesus back to adam 
Um, we see other genealogies in the books of Kings. Um, we're told, uh, let's see, I have it written down here, Kings 6 1. Uh, states the Exodus took place 480 years before the fourth year of King Solomon's reign. So um, we have, uh, we know King Solomon's reign, uh, the timeline of that, uh, even outside of the Bible. Uh, so we have some historical certainty that that was around the year 965, which means we can put a date on the Exodus in the second book of the Bible at 1446 B.C., and then if we do the math, Exodus 12 tells us that the, they were in Egypt for 430 years. We go back through everyone else. Uh, we can get to the date that Abraham was born around 2166 BC. Um, and these are, these are s- simply established by biblical references. Now, from the years to Abraham back to Adam, that's what's found in Genesis 1 through 11. Mm-hmm. Um, the account of Adam all the way up to the flood. And in that section, we have two genealogies. And in every genealogy, there's always a risk that, um, you know, they're they're missing generations or there's gaps in the genealogies. And and that's true. That happened sometimes. Um, Sometimes authors would do that to create a literary form or pattern in their genealogy, like Matthew. He breaks it down um, from 7 to 7 to 7. Yeah. but the problem with that idea is that those gaps are never millions or billions of years. A generation or two. They're a generation or two at most. 40-plus years, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And then the the further problem with that is that the genealogies in Genesis give specific years. Mm-hmm. So we can go back from Abraham, the birth of Abraham. We can't go back exactly to the um, the year of the flood. We know the year of the flood from the start of zero because the genealogy in Genesis 5 and Genesis 11 gives us years that these generations were born. They lived this many years. They had this kid. This kid lived this many years. So we're given exact years. Now, if we do all of that, we do all of our math. Um, I did the math. I actually did the math a few months ago unrelated to this series. Um, I was originally supposed to preach the Enoch sermon in uh, the By Faith Sermon oh, Series. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, but the schedule got changed around. But I had done some research, and I placed Enoch like where he was in all the whole timeline. Mm. Um, but from Adam, we can trace, um, the New Testament says Enoch was seven generations from Adam. Again, a very literal interpretation saying Enoch was seven generations from Adam. That's a concrete statement. It's not a, It's not a allegorical statement. Um, Whereas in parables that Jesus would teach, he's using language like this happened on this day, right? This uh, this period on this day, it was said there were people yeah. that were working this vineyard for right. the master, right? And they earned a denarii. Like the, these were items and times that the people that day could understand. Yeah, as a almost an episode of a of a one of your favorite shows. You know, this these characters did this on, on this episode yeah. rather than this many generations, this many years, this person lived. Right. Is much different than those parable um, statements. So you can go through the genealogies in Genesis 5 and Genesis 11, and people have, and put the flood at the year 1656 mm-hmm. going forward from zero. So six 
1656 years after Adam was created or after the creation week, that's when the flood happened about 1600 years later based on the ages and times given. So, um, putting all of that together, um, a roughly 6,000 year old earth is what I believe scripture presents. And I believe, I believe that to be the case. Um, be, and it, it largely hinges on Adam's genealogy that she mentions here or that he mentions. I'm not sure who the, the listeners, but um, if this is anything but historical narrative, why give us times and dates? Like the um, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, all act as one story, and the um, the dates all tie into each other. Further, the fi- first five books of the Bible to the rest of the the rest of the Bible all tie into each other. Um, and really, this was a big wrestle for me, um, yeah. trying to think of how can we reconcile an old earth when we're told something explicitly different. So when when God is to the point that he's giving us years that we can add up and do the math and and consider, if that's not true, then God is lying. Yeah. And if it's an allegory, then why is God giving the appearance of lying? Yeah. And... The arguments made on the other side of that, well, if if the earth isn't old, why does it appear to look old? Because mm-hmm. it has the appearance of being old. Um, and then it becomes, what are you going to look at first? Are you going to look at the science? Are you going to look at nature first? Are you going to look at scripture first? Right. Um, and I, I couldn't, I just couldn't not look at scripture first. And we look at scripture first, and um, and we do look to science for evidence. And like you mentioned, there's historical evidence for the reign of King Solomon. So we have evidence yeah. from archaeological digs, right. for instance. But certain ways that we try to find evidence for um, dating something properly, like uh, this listener brings up um, carbon dating, yeah, is different than an archaeological dig. Carbon dating, I have learned um, recently, was a method invented in, in 1949. By mm-hmm. a professor and his team. Well, we talked about how science told us that 35 miles per hour was breakneck speed at one yeah. point. Like the scientific method brings us evidence, but that evidence can change based on that method. Yeah. So 1949, lead paint was like the the paint we were using for every house at that point. Yeah. We didn't change it till like 1972. Yeah. Right. So so why are we looking at carbon dating as something that is being found to be a shaky um, oh, absolutely. tool and method, why would we make that our <laughs> our standard of dating something in 2023? Yeah. And the the and the, I'll, I'll say this about carbon dating. Carbon dating was established with the assumption of an old earth. Right. So the you're scientists... Already, you're who, already coming in with the assumption. Like the scientists who developed it assumed there was an old earth. And mm-hmm. for carbon dating to be accurate... Um, Basically, carbon dating measures the rate of isotope decay in an atom to try to work back to when that atom was in its original state. And the decay, the rate of the decay is um, basically it's predicated on the fact that our atmosphere is at equilibrium between two carbon isotopes, C12 and C14. I don't mm-hmm. want to get too technical here, but sure. um, the assumption there, though, I want to say, though, the assumption was that our atmosphere is at 
what's called equal equilibrium. Mm -hmm. There's equal amounts to the point that it's in a state of equilibrium. So the rate of decay is consistent. And if it's in, if the atmosphere is in equilibrium, then the rate of decay has been consistent as long as that atmosphere has been in equilibrium. Um, the problem is though, this, the atmosphere is not in equilibrium. And this, the original scientists that you just mentioned, some of his findings showed that, mm -hmm. um, but he, he attributed it to basically scientific error. Um, but it's, but he made the assumption that the, the atmosphere has been in this state of equilibrium, which is not even currently now, for millions and billions of years. That's the only situation, that's the only setup that allows for carbon dating results to be what um, what they're said to be. Yeah. Um, so it that's based on the assumption that the Earth is already old. The test itself is designed for an old Earth. Now, there you go. Um, and there's there's more there's more to that. Um, this, the the whole science of of an of an atmosphere that has that is at equilibrium would uh, require a certain number of years. Um, but even even to this to that science that from a scientific perspective, like carbon dating really loses a lot of its accuracy based on our own measurement ability. Uh, kind of what you're saying, like this test being um, so old, uh, even our ability today, we really can only measure the level of carbon uh, isotopes to a level that would maybe reach back as far as 80,000 years, if that were the case. So when they do, they measure something that they say is, you know, this is a billion years old, uh, I read something that they had timed between 800 million and 1.6 billion years old. And like statistically, if you just know, if you hear that range, like that stati is statistically pretty much meaningless to go back a hundred or 1.6 billion years. And you say this existed in half of that time at some point in half of that time, that statement is so broad. You're, you're basically making a statistically meaningless statement, but the assumption is there that the earth is old. The earth has been around for 14 billion years and um, the atmosphere has always been in equilibrium in that entire time. So I'm the, my point is there's a lot of assumptions there uh, to get to even even accepting a test result in that arena. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, in college, I remember reading an article. They had carbon dated a baby seal. Yeah. And it was determined to be 50,000 years old. <laughs> and I, I'm not... And I'm not bashing science. I don't want to come across that way. I love science. I love reading about this. But when scripture interprets your worldview or you interpret your worldview through the lens of scripture, you can view science properly. There you go. Like even in this statement, the widely accepted scientific age of the earth. Mm -hmm. So why why is that widely accepted? Like who, who are you getting your truth from? Mm -hmm. Who told you that? I'm not saying it's not widely accepted because it is widely accepted, but that's that's a that's that's a source of truth. That's a source of truth for this listener, right? Because it's widely accepted. That's that's what I wanted to throw to in 1949. Lead paint was the widely accepted yeah. use of paint. We now know that that's toxic and poisonous, and, and we don't use that paint anymore. And honest science, 
observe science is observing and testing right it requires something to observe it doesn't give us anything before that um honest science is is never is always open yeah is always curious is always you know this could be wrong let's test it and find let's find like let's figure this out yeah um like with the pandemic follow the science everyone kept saying yeah um like they 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 came down with this message that the science is set well, we're now in the last year we've seen, well, the science wasn't set. It yeah. wasn't as certain as they let it to be. Yeah. And that's that's kind of, I think, why people are, are developing this distrust of science because we're starting to see agendas behind it and assumptions and presuppositions that are packaged in with, with, yeah. what, with what we're being told. Um, Whereas if it is written in Scripture, King Solomon or King David were in this location, died in this location. Yeah. And then artifacts were dug up in that location inscribed King David or yeah. Solomon. Now we have proof that that and was actually there. And it's awesome to see, like, even just in the last few years, the last decade, all the archaeological evidence that's coming out. Yeah. That it's just kind of win after win for the 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 message of Scripture, the storyline of Scripture. And, and the historicity. And the, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're told, like, it just so many, I, yeah, I won't get into that, but... Archaeology is a, is a wonderful, wonderful uh, area to explore. Yeah. Um, and then they ask in the question, too, what about dinosaurs, the prehistoric period? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I believe in a young earth. I believe Scripture teaches that. I also believe Scripture teaches that man and animals were all made in a week, and so they coexisted. Yeah, I did. I wanted to throw to um, Job, which is chronologically the oldest book of the Bible. That's yes, that's true. That's believed to be the oldest. Believed to be the oldest. In Job forty fifteen, God says, Look at Behemoth, which I made along with you. He eats grass like cattle. Look at the strength of his back and the power in the muscles of his belly. He stiffens his tail like a cedar tree. A cedar tree is like a redwood tree today. That yeah. would, that's what the readers would have known. Right. Massive. Massive trees. The tendons on of his thighs are woven firmly together his bones are bronze tubes his limbs are like iron rods he is the foremost of god's works only his maker can draw the sword against him there's this mighty creature that is obviously not a walrus or an (laughs) otter or a giraffe um because he has a tail like a cedar tree so something that's looks like what we know a dinosaur is the best language we could put on something like that Absolutely. Absolutely. Right there in scripture. I'm right there with you. So. All right. Um, The second question has a a literal question question as well. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do that one next week. All right. Um, I don't want to, you've got a lunch, you've got a lunch date. Yeah, I do. I don't want to keep you from that. I want to just, I'll say one more thing here. Yeah. Um, Her last question is a biblical worldview and a short, is a biblical worldview, a short history view. Hmm. I'm going to say yes. Now, that's my that's my view as pastor, as a teacher. I'm I feel I feel obligated to interpret scripture, teach, learn scripture, teach it to the flock. Um, if you hold a view an old earth view, I'm not I'm not going to be mad at you. Yeah, <laughs> we talked a little bit about this last week. You uh, did. It's not it's not necessarily necessarily something to divide over. Yeah. Um. Uh, it, it comes down to how we view scripture. The important thing is viewing 
viewing the world through the lens of Scripture, because that's the source of truth that God gave us to interpret what we see around us. Uh, and he's telling us the story of, of ourselves. He's telling us the story of our own identity and our purpose and our meaning. Um, so um, God is communicating a truth to us. So we just need to honestly and responsibly try to get to and understand what that truth is. It's mm. not a relative truth. It is a truth that that stands for something and corresponds to something. Yeah. Um, I, I, I have known many faithful men and women that hold other views of the age of the earth. And we even allow, you know, we even allow teachers and leaders here at hope that hold other views. We ask them that they, they teach other views as opinion, their personal opinion, and that the literal view is, uh, what we hold to, what we hold to as a church, what we affirm. Um, so I believe, yes, it is, would be a biblical worldview, um, but if, if you come to a different conclusion, I'd love to have, you know, I'd love to talk about it, but I'm not going to yeah. be mad at you. Quote which, Dave Ramsey. Which models, a, a beautiful mosaic that the church should be. Here's, here's my take and here's hope's take, but I, I'm still a part of the life of this church and love this church and love the people. And the ultimate yeah. thing is we are saved by grace. Absolutely. Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And she mentions Adam's genealogy. Like that's, that's a, a lot of it hangs on that for me. So what, how are you going to, how are you going to view that? Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Right. The the question is, (laughs) is right there. Saved by grace. The question is, how do we reconcile this And there? There's Mark's take and Hope's take. So, uh, I feel like I missed an opportunity on Sunday almost to talk about Barbenheimer. (laughs) <laughs> um how so well i mean so barbenheimer the the movies that came out last week in barbie yeah and oppenheimer it's been a thing on online like the mashing them together because they're just polar opposite movies you know one is this dreadful existential depressing movie uh, and the other one the other one's um, oppenheimer is oppenheimer <laughs> <laughs> no, there's this bubbly, there's this bubbly Barbie movie, you know, pink and this is the mo- motif and like, and then there's Oppenheimer, which is about the atomic bomb and the, the creator of the atomic bomb and like the exit- existentialist dread that it created. And, and uh, they're just, you know, polar opposite movies re- released on the same weekend. But really, uh, they both get to the heart of, uh, of what we talked about on Sunday, yes. especially the Barbie movie. Barbie, I haven't seen it, but I read the storyline and it's about Barbie coming to life and kind of wrestling with who is she? Right. What does it mean to be Barbie? What does it mean to be a person? Like all this stuff has happened to me and it's defined me. And now what, like, Mm. and what is my identity? Um, And it really, I think um, I'm assuming they don't come to the correct conclusion of Genesis one. I'm assuming they come to uh, probably a worldview that would, um, differ from mine but uh it's it's very much in this cultural moment um and then oppenheimer is exactly exactly there too you know the dread of of being the creator of a a weapon of mass destruction and the moral culpability of that Mm. the moral culpability of designing a weapon like that and it being used to to kill so many people um it's deep stuff but if we don't have our grounding if we don't have our foundation um, it will, it'll lead to chaos. Wow. Can't wait for a double feature. <laughs> that is what I meant by saying I'm going to have lunch. I'm going to be going to watch both these movies. 
<laughs> I did see Oppenheimer. See Oppenheimer. It is intense and it is depressing. So see you tomorrow. You won't see me in the office. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, let's wrap up. We've got another yeah. question, but we'll uh, we'll we'll push it off to next week. Um, yeah, let us know if you have more questions. If you have any questions, submit them. Uh, email us at podcast at hopechristianchurch.com. Uh, you can probably find it on the hopechristianchurch.com at the website somewhere. Yep. Um, on the main page, I think. Uh, or you can text 444-HOPE-222 and uh, text it that way and get us a question. We'd love to talk about it. Um, yeah, this has been fun. It's been a good time. We'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.